Helen. Hello. I'm nice to be here and the surprise uh, thruple that I like to give uh, your listeners every so often. <laughs> this is the world's worst polycule. <laughs> Unfortunately, Katie remains here. There were, um, I'm not making this up, Before, when we were just chatting beforehand, there was already an anti-Semitic joke. So I see the direction <laughs> this is headed. Who made it, Jesse? And it made you. by you as well. I mean, that was the most, that was the most surprising thing. <laughs> it's not made by me. I, point, I was the whistleblower, not the... It's two against one. Helen and I have both decided it was you. Yes. <laughs> Katie, would it kill you to let Helen get a word in? Helen, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, it has been raining here for approximately a month. Welcome to Britain. That's I've heard that stereotype. Yeah, and and oh, do you know what? Can I raise a beef? Actually, I don't know why I'm specifically raising this with you as representatives of America. Is that like another British culinary thing, <laughs> raising a beef? That's uh, Jack Monroe actually has that in her cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the Americans on the internet keep laughing at British food and saying that it's very bland. And I would like to raise this as an issue because British food is not bland. We have like mustard that would make your yeah. <laughs> ear hair fall out and you know a huge indian diaspora population that has some extremely strong curries so i just i think americans need to pack it in and realize that their food is obviously the worst food if you are gonna be on an american podcast you need to talk like an american you should have said we have mustard that will burn your panties off (laughs) yeah i I, this is one of the continuous things that writing for the atlantic has got as now i do like i have a rolling kind of translation into america I have wrote an article about um, slow horses and I mentioned bankers in it. And I wrote, you know, guys with red braces talking about their bonuses. And my editor was like, you know, that's suspenders. And I was like, okay, but here in Britain, suspenders are like lingerie. <laughs> that's a very, very different image. Yeah. So, you know, if you were like a garter belt, yeah. then if you wear stockings, then they hang from suspenders. Mm. That is what happens in Britain. So men in red suspenders different, different is like. a very different vibe. Do you have fanny packs in Britain? No, Katie, because fanny is a word for vagina. Yeah, I knew that. So I was just like, Yeah, do you have fanny packs? Yeah, do you have fanny packs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I do. We call them bum bags, which sounds okay. like a homophobic slur. But yes. <laughs> Under that context, a fanny pack does like sound like something that maybe, you're, uh, maybe you would get mid-transition. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I joked on some D... <laughs> wow, you already launched her into a coughing fit with your transphobia. <laughs> We're leaving this in. We want the unfiltered view. This is what Helen sounds like all the time. If you meet her in person, I genuinely choked <laughs> on some tea. <clears throat> time is that a, like a British euphemism or alas, tea? literal tea? <clears throat> <clears throat> right, right, we'll give you a second. Okay, we can go. Um, just before we move on, because we should move on. But the same point you're making about British food applies to American food. We have bland Midwestern food, but then we have like every immigrant group under the earth because we like immigrants here and you hate them. Yeah, you're sending them all to Rwanda. What is this? Uh- the worst thing about that is we're not, in fact, sending anyone to Rwanda. We've paid the Rwandan government £150 million to not send anyone to Rwanda. Really? It's tragic. Jesse, have you yeah. been following this? Nope. Helen, uh, we need Helen to explain this. This is such a bizarre, <laughs> bizarre thing that is happening in the UK. So it starts with Nigel Farage, who I don't know if you're familiar with. Yes. Indeed. He kind of hangs around with Trump every so often. He was in the photo with former, him. Former co-host of Blockchain Reporters before <laughs> Katie came on. <laughs> right. And the, the, by a golden elevator in Trump Tower. Anyway, he started a campaign a couple of years ago during lockdown. Basically, he was quite bored. And one of the only things you could leave your house for was if you were doing journalism. So he decided he was going to go to Dover, which is a port city in the south of England, and do some journalism about uh, migrant boats. So people leaving Calais in France on small boats coming across the channel to either illegally immigrate or seek asylum here. And he kind of made it into a thing. Even though immigration has spiked hugely in the last couple of years in Britain, but and this is a you know illegal immigration is a very small part of that actually. The Tory government has really said, "Oh God, we really need people to come and come work in our care homes or whatever," and he sort of turned it into a thing. So Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, had one of his slogans is "Stop the boats," 
Um, one of the ways he wanted to do this was by essentially saying the asylum regime is going to become much more punitive and actually you won't get to settle in Britain, you'll have to settle in Rwanda. <laughs> and so he made a deal with Paul Kagame, who was essentially the dictator of Rwanda, that he would house asylum seekers uh, while their claims were being processed. And then if they if they won the lottery, the prize would be to stay in Rwanda, not in not in Britain. And this would decrease the kind of pull factor. Um, unfortunately, the problem with it being that uh, under international law, Rwanda is not a very safe country. I was going to say, so the- <laughs> I, gonna say I don't know anything about any of this, but that strikes me as incredibly illegal, probably. Well, so the British Parliament has only this week passed a law that says we declare that for the purposes of international law, Rwanda is a safe country. <laughs> because apparently we can just pass oh laws God. that, you know, like just declare what reality is now. They, um, they do have one very nice hotel. <laughs> I remember that. it from the film. Yes. So, I mean, <laughs> the problem with it being that, yeah, so we paid them all this money, which I don't know what, exactly what it's gone to. Um, and we haven't managed to send a single person there yet. So... Well done, everyone involved. Have you considered taking the trip? Do you know I've never actually, apart from the you know some of the less salubrious bits, Rwanda is actually, as sub-Saharan African countries go, not a not a bad one. It's quite stable. Yeah. No, um, I have friends who like worked there and loved it actually, and like they, I mean, the aid world, so it's different, but it's not like the as like a one-word uh, symbol of like awfulness. It doesn't really work anymore. Right. It's not the DRC, the Congo, which is just is a, no. a sort of lawless hellhole just full of different warring militias and people being kidnapped. Um, but nonetheless, it is, uh, you know, I'm, we're always accused of talking Britain down. I'm going to go out on a, you know, on a, a limb here and say Britain is, I would say, a, a richer, nicer, more prosperous place with better food than Rwanda. Mm, I don't so know. people do want to come here. I could, I could see natural born Brits entering that lottery for a chance to resettle in Rwanda, depending on how things go, at least. Better weather. Yeah, that's true. Katie, what is the name of this increasingly throupled podcast? This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. I'm Helen Lewis. And I'm Jesse Single. And, <laughs> Too slow. Oh, fuck. Okay, you're the co-host now. You said it first. <laughs> I retire. This is great. This is great. This is what I've always wanted. All right. I should say it's pretty cold in the room where I'm recording. I'm hoping we can just get this done in like five minutes, 10 minutes. Are your nipples hard? Uh, I was going to send photos, but I'll skip that. Um, so a couple of things yeah. we're going to do. Helen has prepared her, I guess we can now call it an annual... She called it a Christmas quiz. I'd prefer to think of it as a Hanukkah quiz about online bullshit. I fared horribly last year. I was re-listening. I was really bad at me worse this year because I've been off Twitter. I think Katie was a little bit better, but that will be a lot of fun. But first, Helen, it says here in my notes that you are a writer? Yes. Okay. Good. Uh, good work by the researchers. Uh, you're a staff writer at The Atlantic, and you did write a lot of great stuff this year. The article we wanted to talk a bit about as I go over to my notes, was headlined. I did it. I did it. I didn't put the headline. Taylor Swift. <laughs> yes, let's talk about Taylor Swift. Do you know what? I just I, is it is it just a showmance? Do you think it is just his pivot out of the Travis? NFL onto a showbiz career? Yeah. No, this no. is real. I think this is real. I think this is the one. Okay, that's yeah. good. You've restored my faith in humanity at Hanukkah. That's nice. If this weren't real, why would she go for a guy with the Chiefs? It's very problematic. I, do, I just genuinely don't know what that means. I imagine that's a terrible insult, but I, it's, it's all it could be. <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs is a reference to the indigenous people who were cleansed from this land before the arrival of us, yes. the white people. And it's actually not. It's a reference to their, the mayor who brought the Chiefs to town, as we discussed on a previous episode, but yes. Yes. I know, but it's the it's, it's the red face of, of football teams. I don't remember that. Um, can I ask a question about? Can I ask a question about the Kansas City Chiefs? Which is, is at all? Is there any sniggering about the phrase "tight end" in America, or are you all completely over we that? We don't say sniggering here, here, Helen. Not with the hard R. Not with <laughs> right. the hard R. Yeah. 
All right, uh, let's get to it. Helen, we want to talk to, talk about uh, your piece in the Atlantic on the Satanic Temple. The social justice rebellion at the Satanic Temple. Exactly, yes. yes. And uh, I came to this story because it was it was kind of, there's something that's very kind of sweet and funny about the Satanists. Um, and they do take it all quite seriously and they've all got Satanic pseudonyms that they call Satanyms. <laughs> but the thing that kind of drew me to the story was the fact that you see a lot of the same dynamics in this that you do in you know, the piece I wrote last year about the Guggenheim, mm-hmm. for example. Or um, you know, James Bennett has just put a piece out in The Economist that's about his experience of being ousted from the New York Times. The dynamics are very often quite similar and you kind of just window dress different uh you know kind of atmospheres on top of that really i i have to ask you to read the first sentence which is a gem and then we'll get into the specifics uh i think it's something like the last time lucian greaves got this much trouble for a photograph he had his genitals out (laughs) (laughs) and you know what my original version of that was testicles and apparently it is considered (laughs) under the standards of august american journalism that genitals are less offensive for a lead than uh, than testicles so take that to the bank uh, so, so for those new to him, just tell us a little bit about this guy, Lucian Greaves. I think it's Lucian, isn't it? Yeah, like Lucifer. I always presumed it was uh, pronounced like that. He uh, back in the 2010s, he um, they kind of happened by accident. They decided to protest against Senator Rick Scott and the idea of prayer in um, in Florida schools. Wait, are you talking still talking about his testicles? Or are you talking about the temple now? I'm talking about the te- the Satanic Temple. <laughs> Uh, comes out of the idea that uh, Lucian Greaves and a couple of other people had about essentially trolling the state of Florida, which I'm always in favor of, about the idea that they wanted to have prayer essentially in schools. And they said, well, if you're going to have Christian prayer in schools, you'd have to have, you know, you can't, America doesn't have an established religion, so you'd have to have all the type, different types of prayer. And that includes our prayer, satanic prayer. And it started off as a kind of semi joke. And Lucian Greaves is actually a, a pseudonym. His real name is Doug. Um, and, and there was an actor initially playing this kind of character of this sort of great satanic overlord with, with horns. But, it, but as time went on, Doug kind of became, he, he sort of basically full time is, is Lucian Greaves. And he set up this very interesting organization which was like essentially kind of quite edgelordy. And the whole vibe of it was that every time, you know, an American state, particularly the religious right, tries to do something that privileges Christianity in some way, will pop up and say, well, in that case, you have to be equally good to, to Satan. So there was a classic case. There's a very funny documentary called Hail Satan, um, where they keep trying to put, um, you know, Republican state houses keep trying to put Ten Commandments statues on government land. And the Satanists will roll up and go, you've also got to put our Baphomet statue up, which is this kind of amazing like 10 foot bronze statue of a kind of really jacked goat um, with little kids kind of looking up at him from each side sitting on on a throne. And obviously they recoil in horror and it's usually then enough to get whatever kind of Christian nationalist thing wound down because they they can't really defeat the argument um, given the the establishment clause, clause of the constitution. But realistically, the, the, to me, the bit that's interesting is, do you remember there was a very good article a while ago about what happened to Vice News? And you know, Vice started out as kind of like, you know, we took ketamine and vomited on a midget. And yeah, then, like Gen X transgressive stuff. Right, and actually really kind of quite cruel and thoughtless and kind of like edgelordy for the sake of it. But by the end of its life, Vice was kind of, you know, advice to keep your you know, non-binary cuddle party positive. <laughs> well, I was going to say, by the end, it was cruel and thoughtless, but just in a very different way. But it was, yeah. it was, it was, yeah, it had a kind of uh, 
that that kind of slightly smarmy social justice kind of yes. uh, overtone so it rather than the kind of like yeah yeah two fingers up to you you know like i went to liberia and puked on an orphan kind of uh, <laughs> that was a good that was a good documentary i don't know if it had to be five parts but i liked the part where the orphan got puked on they were still doing coke off of a off of a stripper's butt it was just a trans stripper at the end right exactly and, and to some extent you kind of see that shift in lots of different bits of um uh, communities on the internet. It was just a kind of general vibe shift over the course of the 2010s. And the form that it took in the Satanic Temple was wanting to become an explicitly progressive organization. So lots of members wanted to go into BLM marches. Lots of them wanted to make, you know, big grand statements about COVID. Obviously, lots of them became very interested in the new gender politics of the 2010s. Um, and you, you know, you, you get somebody in Lucian Greaves who was trying to kind of navigate that was as somebody with very different sets of values. And the reason I say it's a bit like the New York Times is a bit like the difference between old school kind of liberal journalism, where the idea is, you know, you have all the viewpoints represented and you let them all fight out and it's a marketplace of ideas versus a culture that is much more attuned to the idea that people who have more power set the rules. And so actually what looks like giving everyone an equal uh, go of it actually privileges the people who already have, have power. So although people in this are called things like Harry von Hoofkloppen and Minister Dick von Zombieslayer, <laughs> they are kind of the same arguments that are playing out um, everywhere. And so the inciting instance of this, which was the first photo of Lucian Greaves with, uh, that caused got him in trouble, the one with his testicles out, is that he went to the graveyard where Fred Phelps of the Westboro Baptist Church mother was buried. And people probably remember the Westboro Baptist Church being very homophobic, um, going and prom- protesting at uh, funerals with kind of God hates fag signs. And so they had a vibe that they would take these people and do a, what they call a pink mass and uh, turn her gay in the afterlife. <laughs> and lots of uh, hired actors to play gay couples kissing over the grave. Oh and then Lucian Grieve got his... Um, yeah, testicles out and put them on her gravestone and was photographed uh, <laughs> with it. And as you might imagine, this was like Fox's, Fox News like, jizzed in their pants at the, <laughs> with the excitement of this. And so Lucian Greaves was invited on to talk about it and it became a, a big campaign. Um, but the second photograph that got him in trouble was he posed for a photo with the Baphomet statue, which was it now lives in Salem in their headquarters in, in Pride Month. So it was decked out in uh, rainbow balloons with a guy called David Silverman, who used to be head of the American Atheists Association. And he got ousted from that in the sort of kind of various Me Too allegations, which he denies. He says they were consensual relationships. But nonetheless, he was kind of, again, from that older generation. Um, and basically the the kind of rank and file Satanists couldn't deal with the idea that their leader, their kind of slightly supreme leader really, was hanging around with people that they feel they felt should have been kind of drummed out of public life. And David Silverman had also said stuff like, you know, I'm I support trans rights, but you know, don't groom kids and stay out of women's showers. Which on Twitter, which is, you know, fairly likely fairly likely to provoke a a reaction from people. He also so Sorry to interrupt you, Helen. So I, I worked with David briefly uh, when, when COVID started. Grooming kids? Yes, grooming, ch- grooming kids. Um, we worked together. We basically both were hired by a, a billionaire to do some stuff for him right at the beginning of COVID when I got lo- lo- uh, laid off from the stranger. What kind of stuff, Katie? <laughs> <laughs> we had to do stuff to him. <laughs> no, uh, no comment. No comment. Okay. And uh, and after, so, I, so I know David a little bit. This was before George Floyd. And after George Floyd was murdered, David was tweeting for a while things like, hashtag felon lives matter less. Yes, I see how that didn't go down that yes. well with people. 
But yeah, but he's a troll. Right, exactly. Mm. And and there was a time when that was the kind of argo of young cool people on the internet was to do things like that, be pr- provocative in that way. And now the kind of currency for young cool people on the internet is to be very ostentatiously empathetic yeah. to people. But well, but what's interesting is like uh, uh, at least in the aughts, it was cool to like shit on the religious right. That's what being transgressive was because like we felt like George W. Bush, like God's talking right. to him directly. It felt like they had a lot of cultural power. So it sort of seems like the exact same people are now like the ones making jokes about like killing white people or trying to get people canceled. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I felt quite a lot of empathy for this story because I feel like it's a shift that I've lived through. Because when I was in my twenties, I was you know I think probably atheism was the first kind of online movement that I felt an affinity for. I grew up in a Catholic household. Um, So, you know, I I did feel like, particularly in America, that, you know, particularly white evangelicals wield a lot of power disproportionate to their numbers in uh, in the population and that they were a legitimate target. And I remember it was quite a big deal when I think Barack Obama at his inauguration said, you know, something about all faiths and none. And it was like the first time that anyone acknowledged that, you know, the atheists were a kind of legitimate group of people, not just a kind of, you know, basically Satanists, right? And that's what the Satanists took to their logical conclusion. There's lots of people who basically said, if you didn't believe in God, you were terrible and fallen. They were like, oh, we are actually fallen. We literally <laughs> are Satanists. I should say at this point, because they get very angry about this, they don't literally worship Satan. They have to be quite clear about that. You write about the fallout after this photo. People are very mad. It is similar to other stories like this, where people resign in very public, self-righteous ways. I think there's... Uh, letters and emails and it's just interesting because this is a group of people that revels in the transgressiveness of like oh look at our goat man statue seducing children but then comparing that to the way they reacted to (laughs) their guy taking a photo with the wrong person i don't know there's just something to that that uh asymmetry i feel like yeah i think that's very true because they have a telemedicine service in new mexico that is called samuel alito's mom's abortion clinic (laughs) Um, the joke being that wouldn't it in some ways have been better had Samuel Lito's mother aborted him before full birth. And as I note in the piece, that is calculated to be quite offensive to Christians, pro-lifers and Republicans and probably Samuel Alito, let's be honest. Um, but, you know, but that's kind of okay. There's another scene in the piece where Jax Blackmore, who's one of the kind of early activists, um, they do a performance art piece and say, you know, we need to burn down something and blah, 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 blah and execute the president. Now, Jack says that this is, you know, this was a kind of punkish performance, you know, like rhetorical device about smashing up the system. But, you know, the Lucian Greaves was was more, this is going to get us on an FBI watch list. You cannot right. go around saying, I want to, I think we should execute the president. That's the kind of thing that even American free speech, you know, extremists like take very, very seriously. So you're right. What has Han kind of switched is... And I think it's always fascinating, you know, when writing the stories that I do, which tend to be quite rude about the left and the right, is that there is a kind of quite a well-established vibe of, I used to like your work until you attack the stuff that I care about. Yes. Um, And and you definitely see, you know, people who are very fine with, you know, very strong rhetoric against their enemies don't feel so comfortable when it's directed against them. And their rationale for that is because they are the marginalized and it's different. You can right. attack the powerful in different terms to, to you use the powerless. It just so happens that these days, a lot of the most marginalized people are also wealthy people who went to prep schools. The, the most marginalized among Australia in some ways. Well, and you know what, actually, I, I, I have... I do have quite a lot of sympathy with the with the complainants in some respects because it is an organization that is really very hierarchical. It is Lucian Greaves' baby yeah. along with his co-founder Malcolm Jarry. It's not, you know, it has an executive council, but really it is, you know, 
know, he's the public face of it. Um, and I can see why that, that bothers people. And also, you know, lots of them, some of them people I spoke to came out of having been in fundamentalist communities. And so they were really alert to the idea of essentially what happens when you get a kind of bishop who becomes overbearing. And right. they, they felt that's what Greaves was doing. So it, so it's partly one of those instances where, and you've mentioned this, where legitimate complaints get draped in the language of social justice or sort of... Um, sublimated into social justice concerns. Right. And that's why I feel it's an interesting analog of my Guggenheim piece, right, where, uh, which had a legitimate complaint at the heart of it, which is that some people at the top of a very white dominated organization had done very well in the pandemic and were zooming in from their house in the Hamptons, while other people were cooped up in a tiny apartment in Queens, you know, on these very um, insecure contracts, you know, really not feeling that there was any way to make their way in the art world unless you had family money. But no one sort of really took that seriously. And I think that provided the engine for what then turned into a, what was cast as a grievance in racial terms of a white curator has disrespected a black curator. And I think there's a similar right. thing going on here. You know, one of the most interesting quotes, and it was by one of the ex-Satanists who said, you know, it, what, what I want to say to people is what if the satanic temple sucks, but in boring ways? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that's, I think that's a, the theme of lots of the stories that you cover, totally. right? Is that people are just having a, a, a dispute that is an interpersonal falling out or whatever it is, but they feel obliged to cast it in much greater, grander ideological terms, because that seems more interesting and more like together sympathy, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I mean, Reply All is a whole other big story. We don't need to rehash it, but it's this amazing podcast that imploded for exactly the reasons you're saying. It was interpersonal stuff. It was people feeling they didn't get the money or the credit they deserve, but it gets communicated as a story about, you know, a pseudo racial incident, which is, um, you know, that storyline often spreads with very little evidence. Cause like you're saying, it's just less, or like you're, um, the person you quoted is saying it, it's just less, Interesting. Now let's get um, let's just get even saucier for a minute. Earlier today on WhatsApp, you mentioned this in the piece, but you also said to me on WhatsApp, "I quote: I did spend hours listening to complaints about the orgy policy." Care to elaborate, Helen? Yes. Yeah, so somebody um, let me see quite a lot of internal documents uh, from the Satanic Temple. One of I which hope that's not a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> These were documents that were inside people. Uh, yeah, that's how they, they, they stored them. Uh, and one of them was their, was their orgy policy. Now, I being, uh, you know... <laughs> Isn't that an oxymoron? Should there, like, shouldn't it be a little bit more spontaneous? <laughs> I just love it. I, I'm sorry. I really love it. I find it the funniest thing I did since I had a friend who was polyamorous who said that they arranged all of their like nights about who slept with who on a Google spreadsheet. <laughs> this was the least sexy thing that I'd ever heard. I was like, really, is it worth doing polyamory if you have to engage with Google spreadsheets? Just seems to take some of the romance out of it. Call me old fashioned. Um, but yeah, so I, I felt similarly about the, the orgy policy, right? It's, there's something innately funny about like, let's be super decadent, but you know, rules are rules. Um, and it included lots of stuff about that was, you know, good stuff about consent and really communicating that and not filming other people without their consent and, um, you know, first aid supplies and, and people doing STD testing. But you thought this is like, this is, ad there's so much admin for this orgy. <laughs> I mean, really, <laughs> Test takes some of the excitement out of it. Pronoun badges, obviously featured. Uh, I don't know what you pin the pronoun badge to. <laughs> That's probably one of the things I should have investigated more, more strongly. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, that's the answer. But there was lots of stuff like that. And then what happened was that people said, well, look, you can have the orgy policy, but it doesn't stop the fact that some people have got positions of authority in this and that those are open to abuse which i thought was quite sad and sweet in that sweet. you know it's a kind of an attempt to deal with the fact that um you know you can't make human relationships safe 
Um, and mm-hmm. I think there's been a lot of that in the last kind of years. Like, if only we put all these rules in place and everybody talks about their feelings a lot and we have the Google spreadsheets and no one will never get hurt. And it's just not possible to do it as far as I can see. So I had a lot of sympathy with them. My theory is that there was one person in the satanic temple whose fetish is bureaucracy. Mm. <laughs> and so they were like, we need, we need more forms. Oh, God, more forms. <laughs> That would be a great fetish to have. If you could find that person with that fetish, you would want to employ them, right? <laughs> yeah. Unless that, you had to. That like, person is the head of every HR department. Yeah, I guess you have to kind of like scrape the jizz off the forms, and that's a that's a downside. <laughs> I've I've always it's like I always feel a little bit mean when I say this, but some of the most like robotic seeming uh, bureaucratized like flowcharts for consent, I always wonder. I don't know. Like online life, there's a disproportionate number of neurodivergent people. And I'm curious whether that's a factor for folks for whom like social cues are harder to pick up. It would be nice if you just had like a flow chart and you could never screw up because you followed the rules. Right. Right. And I can imagine yeah, people being like, but I followed the flow chart and the, you know, and someone else saying, <laughs> but couldn't you, couldn't you tell that I was only going along with a flow chart because X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and the thing that was also interesting is I think that the temple attracted quite a lot of vulnerable people. So one of the big um, schisming factions was called Sober Faction. uh, And they had an event called Molotov Mocktails, uh, which is an absolute artifact of a particular time and place in that everybody starts with, you know, everybody has pronouns in their Zoom name. Obviously, lots of people start with land acknowledgements about where they are. And at the end, the organizer says, you know, I want to give a gold Mm -hmm. star to all the cis people who shut up and listened. Um, You know, that kind of that sense that you got for a while on the internet that people were allowed to kind of scold other people and the other people's job was to kind of take it and listen to it. Yeah. Which, you know, was always going to, at some point, people were just going to say, what if I don't though? And it was going to collapse like a house of cards. So again, I, you know, that was a but, but fundamentally that, you know, the feeling was essentially it was an IP dispute, right? About who owned the name and who owned the right to access the Facebook page. But it came, you know, in the clothes of all this kind of very, very 2020 social justice stuff. And Lucian Greaves does something that most leaders of these organizations embroiled in these sort of social justice conflicts don't do, which is he refused to apologize, correct? Yeah. I mean, he um, he wrote a really interesting line in one of his portrayal posts about it, in which he sort of talked about medieval torture devices. And he said, you know, when we consider them, we don't ask whether people that they were used on guilty, mm. which I thought was a really interesting thing, right? So it's regardless of what whether or not you buy the accusations against David Silverman or not, is this a way to treat people that we are okay with? Even on the guilty, should we be treating people in, in these ways by ostracizing them or whatever and then because he's not the leader of a political party with you know lots of donors in it or the leader of a liberal institution with a um you know lots of uh gen z staff who might walk out or whatever it might be he just said i'm sorry then you know leave then (laughs) (laughs) you know which i thought was you know which i kind of think is fascinating because actually that has been the the trend to which I would say lots more of leaders in liberal institutions have have said, right? Then say, fine, fine. If you can't work within this organization, perhaps it is best if you leave. And here are our principles. And one of those was, which I think is also really interesting, the Satanists do Satanism, right? They do anti-religious fundamentalist campaigning. They're not also an anti-racist organization. They're not also a reproductive rights organization, except insofar as those things cross over into their core mission. Yeah. And that was also a time in which, you know, Planned Parenthood apologized for being, you know, we spent too much time being a women's rights organization. <laughs> and you were like, are you on glue? Like, yeah. what else is Planned Parenthood going to be going to be doing? But that that mad moment where everybody was like, oh, well, we can't, you know, well, like Greta Thunberg saying, you know, there's no climate justice without justice for the Palestinians. And you're like, mm-hmm. you're going to have to like run that past me again, because those are two very different, co- both worthy causes, but two completely different causes. 
And he had the bravery, I think, to say, sorry, with the Satanists, we do Satanism. If you want to do climate justice, perhaps Extinction Rebellion or whoever would be better for you. Toward the end of your piece, yeah, you talk about Atheism Plus, which is sort of the splintering from the atheist movement that sought to mix atheism with social justice, but it ended up being maybe 99% social justice and 1% atheism, if that. It might have been 100%. Then you sort of propose that any organization that tries to be about one thing, whether it's atheism or Satanism or environmentalism, astronomy, whatever else, that also tries to sprinkle in social justice, it'll eventually just become a social justice organization. Why why do you think that is? I think it's about not being able to say no to the most disruptive elements. Um, And that comes through a really good... Uh, sense that you shouldn't be a dictator. You know, you should try and be run your organisation in a democratic, consensual way. Unfortunately, when you do that, you don't just empower your best employees. You also employ, you know, you empower your most disruptive, wrecking employees. And it's, you know, yeah. I mean, we're all journalists, so it's a lot easier to criticise things than it is to actually do stuff and build stuff. Um, and there's a real danger when you do that that actually everybody can have their opinion about why what you're doing is not good or you know, all the things you're getting wrong or how you should have done this better or how you could have been more diverse or how you could have been more, you know, anti-capitalist or whatever. But at the end of the day, someone's actually got to do stuff. And I, you know, <laughs> this is why I went into what my idea about the whole piece, the organizing principle, it was the idea of authority and what authority is legitimate and what isn't. And of course, the story of Satan is about a rebellion against authority, right? Um, and if you read Philip Pullman's beautiful children's books they are about the same you know they are recasting paradise lost as if you know was satan right god was a dictator and so that's the you know that's the question is how far along that spectrum between totalitarianism and anarchy do you want your organization to be what is the sustainable point um and i think in the case of social justice you know it does tend to empower self-dramatizing narcissists who want to make everything about them and everybody to attend to their pain all of the time yeah. And, you know, some of those people's pain is real. You know, I talk to people who have been through terrible addiction experiences or whatever it might be, but they are functionally much better at destroying things than they are at building them. Um, and that is very difficult in an organization. And I think the the thing that the internet did is in real life, those people kind of burn out in that they can't kind of keep getting opportunities to do that. On the internet, it's much easier to go from community to community, wrecking it, essentially. <laughs> Well, you mentioned that norm of like sort of being able to scold people, which which was definitely the case for a while. I'd argue not just um, online, but in Slack channels within organizations. And it's, you know, if you took 10 random people off the street and you put them in a room and you said, you can say whatever you want, no matter how offensive, most normal people just wouldn't do that. Because mm. why? But there's a type of personality that will respond very poorly to certain incentives. And I think that's a lot of what's gone on the last few years. Well, it, it's also just a form of mission creep, which I don't think is uh, is uh, exclusive to leftist organizations or, or liberal no. organizations. It's it's I think it's pervasive among many organizations. You know, the initial objectives become less clear as trends change in the culture. Maybe there's you get more resources for the organization and you need to allocate them somewhere. I think we've seen that in organizations like HRC, a lot of these gay rights organizations that have pivoted to become tra- uh, to becoming trans rights organizations. So to me, it seems like a very organic process in some ways, something that, that organizations yeah. really need to fight to overcome or fight to prevent. Yeah, I think that's very true. I've been thinking recently a lot about effective altruism, which was set up, you know, with the explicit aim of like, let's take human biases out of um, the charity sector and institute r- institute rigor and scientific principles. And let's not have heroes. Let's only look at the, the metrics. And then what happens there is that, you know, 
Sam Bankman-Fried sucks all the oxygen out of the room and becomes the face of this movement and then falls in a really spectacular fashion, you know, really denting what fundamentally the insight that, you know, buying malaria lets is a lot better than buying a load of NGO workers, nice land cruisers to drive around Sub-Saharan Africa in is a, is a better thing to do. And, and I think that's, you know, you have to design institutions in order to offset bits of human nature you will never change. You simply have to contain. Mm-hmm. Helen, before we move on to your quiz, could I ask you a few uh, non-Satanism related questions, if you're comfortable with that? Yes. Yes, of course. Okay. You also wrote about uh, Ron DeSantis this year. And one thing I loved about that piece and about um, a Michelle Goldberg column about it was just this attempt to like desperately try to meme himself into the nomination and to think that all this online bullshit matters to regular voters. I think in part because like people convince themselves that Donald Trump one in 2016 because of like edgelords um it just really it was interesting watching him fall on his face on that front right but it was the lesson it was the oh it was the bit that people love about trump is him saying rude things about minorities and, and that wasn't quite the right lesson which is the thing that people loved about donald trump was him saying funny rude things about minorities and the entertainment and not being hillary clinton <laughs> they really love that about right him. but he was you know a, a trump rally is never less than a great entertaining spectacle and I think that was the bit that people in the, you know, and that's why I think there was a brief, whatever it was called, like Ramaswamania, like Vivek Ramaswamy had a brief cresting because he was like, <laughs> right, but he, he had the same thing where he would at any point go on a podcast and just say some shit and, 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 yeah. and, and kind of spin a narrative. And some of it was mad is like the comments about nine 11 were particularly unhinged, but, but that was that the lesson is that that's what a certain block of, of voters want. They just want to be entertained by a candidate. What did he say about nine 11? He said, isn't it something like, isn't it noteworthy? There weren't any federal agents on the planes, which was a sort of very wink, wink, like it was an inside job. And that was my colleague, John Henriksen, who, who did that interview. And then Ramaswamy came out and went terrible MSM media. They've lied against me. And we just published the transcript in which you can see exactly what he what he said. But it was a, he does seem to have a habit of lying. Well, I just think he's one of those people who just talk so much that eventually they are going to. But you know, just like the monkeys and the typewriters, right? Like who can yeah. go on five hundred yeah. podcasts in a row and not eventually start saying, maybe what about nine eleven though? Hey, have you ever really thought? Have you ever really looked at your hand? Ever really looked at your hand? <laughs> He should just have a podcast. He wants attention. This is a great way to do it. Just have a podcast. That's where this has ended up. He's going to be like a podcast billionaire, I bet, because that's just that's that's where this is headed. Um, I don't think he's charming enough. I know, but well, think, I'm sorry, but think we don't need to name names. But think of some of like the contrarian or heterodox thinkers. No, I wasn't thinking that. But I mean, speaking of not charming, but no, think of how little charisma a lot of these weirdos have. The ones who have built up huge audiences. I don't think you need charisma to be a weirdo, contrarian, heterodox podcaster. Uh, I, yeah, I think uh, you are clearly an example of that, Jesse. Ooh, an example of that exactly. Deep burn. No res. It's not a deep burn. It was like maybe lightly. Seen. <laughs> um, is there any you don't have to answer this if you don't want to scoop yourself but is there any like area or subject you're particularly eager to look into and poke around in in 2024 uh, I am going to try and write a little bit more about um, politics uh, I took a kind of sabbatical from writing about British politics specifically because it was simply too depressing and nothing changed yeah. at all um, there's probably going to be a general election <laughs> so America yeah so, <laughs> so what I like to do is look at America and go oh it could be worse look at that um, <laughs> Rwanda hey, yeah, seriously we're not sending people to Rwanda <laughs> Give it time. Um, 
But uh, <laughs> I am going, I'm going to go to Texas in the spring next year. So if you have any Barpod listeners in Texas who would like to tell me about thing, exciting things that are happening in Texas, uh, I plan to, yeah, I did a very long piece about Florida. Um, and can I just say I love Florida? <laughs> I ironically love Florida. And I'm hoping to come back saying the same thing about Texas. Let's be earnest for one second, if we can handle it. What are you grateful for in 2023? Other, obviously, Barpod is at the top of that list, but other than that. Do you know one of the things, I may have said this on this podcast before, so tell me if I'm being repeating myself, but one of the nice things about like becoming a kind of hate object for bad people on the internet is that you do get to find out all the other people who've uh, to my mind sort of stood up a- against the bullies right like you find your community of people who are your little goats who don't kind of follow the herd that's how i like to think of us right mm-hmm. yeah right but no there was a famous thing about the fact that there are there are sheep in life and there are wolves and there are goats and sheep just follow the herd wolves like are actively predatory don't be either of those two be a goat and just like eat stuff off washing lines and <laughs> look vaguely satanic um and that's a kind of my my journalistic motto and it's nice when you find all the other goats uh so that's what i'm always grateful Aww. for i like that um uh- all right. And then what ha- last one? What happened in 2023 that you hope stays in 2023 that you don't want to see a repeat of other than obvious big world events? I would say that the the, rem- the dwindling number of my nemeses who are still doing quite well in journalism <laughs> and their continued success. <laughs> you want it to be zero. <laughs> you know, quite like normally, I, one of my journalistic mottos is if you wait by the bend in the river long enough, the bodies of your enemies will float past you. Wow. That's very <laughs> fucking morbid. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but think about it. Think about how great that feels, Jesse, when that happens. And you just think when Michael Hobbs comes floating by. Not yet. Well, no, he yet. no, no, he he'll always. Well, continue, Helen, and then I'll say my piece about this. <laughs> no, but but you know, it just there's you know, I just want to crush my enemies beneath my chariot wheels. Hear the lamentation of their women. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Helen, do housekeeping for us, please. You're listening to Blockchain Reported. I am both Jesse Single and Cody. Wrong. This is a podcast. No, actually, I'm, I'm curious. I bet Helen, who is a much more professional broadcaster than us, <laughs> I bet she can do a better job. Katie, let's let her try out okay. audition. All right. All right. Okay. All right. I don't, what, what? This is a podcast. I mean, people obviously know it's a. We are a podcast. A podcast no, we is it. a we is podcast. <laughs> podcast. No, actually, do okay. Pretend this was a professionally produced radio show. Uh, Helen, I keep calling you Katie. I am so sorry about that. Uh, imagine it was a professionally produced BBC BBC show. BBC show. <laughs> That's the female BBC. <laughs> See, um, BBC for women. BBC is BBC for women. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You're listening to Blockchain Reported, a podcast with Jesse Single and Katie Herzog. You can contact them at blockchainreportedpodcast at gmail.com. Check out their Reddit, perhaps, at reddit.com forward slash blockchainreported. Or why not just go up to them in the street and shout in their face? Okay. that was First of all, I'm embarrassed by <laughs> really that good. you remembered the email address. Given Katie, it has not lodged itself into her <laughs> weed-addled brain. You did uh, miss the R in reddit.com slash r slash blockchainreported, and God knows where that will lead people. But overall... A minus. Okay, thank you. All right, Jesse, you want to do the last part? Uh, yes, blotchreported.org. You can sign up for $5 a month and up to become a premium subscriber. This is what keeps the show going. That and um, just love. I guess love and money are the two main driving forces behind the show. It's resentment. And resen- oh, a lot of my- resentment and weed. <laughs> weed, <laughs> Michael Hobbs, hatred. Yes. Uh, but yeah, $5 a month and up, you get three extra episodes a month. Also, check out barpod.com. Also... If the announcement has not been posted by the time... Wait, this- what's barpod.com? Barpodmerch.com. Sure. Yes. Good work. Wow. Helen is way better than us at this. Um, also, we're going to send out an announcement soon. We're doing a contest for the holidays where if you give away a gift subscription to the podcast, 
all sorts of prizes could be yours. These range from stuff no one wants, like me coming to give a 30-minute talk. If you live in the New York City area, plus 30 minutes of questions, a little, we'll have a little salon. Is that the British word for it? What's it called? Like a dinner party? Saloon. Helen, give me a term to use here. Saloon? Yeah, you can have a salon. A yeah, saloon will be in a saloon. It will not be intellectual. Um, and then there's other stuff like we will record a voicemail or a birthday greeting for you. So um, yeah, consider buying a gift subscription. Anything else for housekeeping, Katie? Blockchainreported.org. Blockchainreported.org. Okay. So Helen, you've prepared a little quiz for us. I, um, I'm very worried I'm going to embarrass myself, but I'm still willing to Give it a shot. Did, what happened last year? Did one of you win or did you play it together? I think we played together. Okay, that's probably going to lead to less drama, isn't it? Then we should do it apart. Then we should do it differently. <laughs> well, but then how do we answer? How do we both like answer? Or does it switch? Do you have a f- You'd have to make a buzzing noise and be like, buzz. Oh, but- let's Okay. All right, let's do it. Buzz. I can make mine more obnoxious. It, yeah, okay, you don't, Is that you annoying? don't win any points yes. for that. Uh, okay. Oh, some of them are multiple choice. Okay, so choice. one to nothing. I have a point. <laughs> some of them are multiple choice, so you can both have a go at the answer, and then whoever's right will get it. Well, we, we need incentive to not do a false buzz, so if you get it wrong, you lose a if point. If you interrupt. Right? You guys are really complicating this. Just ask the question. Okay, so we roll a 20-sided die to see what our charisma is. <laughs> I go. I'm not I'm taking sorry, it seriously, Katie. Um, okay. Uh, well, we, we, you just why don't just the two of you play, and then people can play along. Okay. Okay. I hate being on the I same know. side as Katie as anything, but whatever doesn't feel natural. And before we start, we should mention that we're putting all the questions in the show notes with the answers at the very bottom. So if you want to play along and just pause before you hear our answers, all of which are likely to be correct, you can do so. Uh, that being said, shall we get started? Yes, let's get ready to quiz. Question one: In January, kickboxer Andrew Tate started an <laughs> online beef with climate change elf. <laughs> He is with climate change elf Greta Thunberg. Uh, please, there will be points deducted if you do that Greta Thunberg impression again. Uh, Thunberg. On what email address? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, minus one to Jesse. Um, on what email address did Greta suggest that he contact her to tell her more about his 33 oh, cars, fuck. including a Bugatti? Is it A, suckmydickatbiteme.com, <laughs> B, save the whales at AOL.com? C, dressing gown twat at housearrest.org, or D, smalldickenergy at getalife.com. D, D smalldickenergy. Yeah, yeah, that is good. You have got one point. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Do me and Katie have to share the point, or do I, I set it first? We're on the same the team. From... You did not share no, the same. I, I set it first. I know, but but no, on my end. But who, like, okay. ha- all right, continue. Sorry. Just remember, and we'll take a vibe check at the end of which of you feels that you've won. <laughs> it's like you're driving the seat on a road trip, and Katie and I are in the back just endlessly. Yes. Stop hitting me. Crisp packets at each other. Um, a crisp two. is a chip for our American listeners. Throwing a chip packet at each other. Thank you. Uh, but then a chip is a fry. Silver too much. Oh, um, okay. From which COVID cautious journalist book on online life is this a real quote? <laughs> Building on the digital experiment, MagCon had reset the equation. Taylor, Taylor Lorenz. Lorenz, because COVID cautious digital journalist. We already know. Well done. I just feel like I'm very old because I don't know what any of those words are. What is a MagCon? We'll simply never know. Uh, number three, Susan Meacham wrote books including Losing Him and Finding You, Chance Encounter, and Finding Faith. Then what did she do for two years? Oh, God, we're past multiple choice. Faked her death. Jesse, are you happy to go with that? I have no idea, so yes. Jesse, we did an episode on this. On w- on our podcast? Yes. Oh. On what? Was it good? On our TV show. <laughs> yeah, it was fucking good. <laughs> Katie, that is correct. Hell yeah. Oh, anyway, this one really says more for you, Katie, because uh, I know how much fan you are. Jack Monroe's cookbook, Thrifty Kitchen, was branded 
was branded dangerous because it suggested various questionable kitchen hacks. Which of these is not, I repeat, not one of her suggestions? A. Glue a ring pull to your handbag to secure your sunglasses. B. Use the fluff from your navel to make fire lighters. <laughs> C. Use a frozen glass bottle filled with water as a rolling pin. D. Use a large clean square of cotton to drain rice and pasta. B. The one that she did that was actually the most idiotic and dangerous was using a cutting the lid off of a tuna can and using it as a as an egg egg ring. You got when you need those perfect those perfectly round eggs, but you don't have an egg holder, whatever they're called. Yes, and it involved you using sort of taking a kind of claw hammer to a tin of tuna. Yeah, I didn't put that in because I thought that was too. Yeah, I thought you'd remember too that obvious. One. one of the most pernicious f- forms of food insecurity is not being able to make egg McMuffins in perfect circles at yes. all. The correct answer is, of course, B: using the fluff from your navel to make fire lighters. <laughs> well done, well done, Katie, for remembering your own episode. Uh, next that question. does work with uh, with dryer lint, though. It's cool how Katie <laughs> and I are getting the exact number of questions right. It's really a 50-50 <laughs> thing. So let's keep that up. In 2021, Bennett Madison claimed to have written two dozen fake letters to Slate's Dear Prudence advice column, then written by Daniel Lavery. Which of these is not one of the letters Bennett claimed to have written? <laughs> a. Help. My friends think I am stealing vaccines from African-American grandmothers to attend sex resorts. <laughs> B. I wonder if my wife likes her girlfriend more than she likes me. C. My mother is trying to convince the guests at my gay wedding to come dressed as Disney characters. D. Help. My husband won't remove his mask, even for sex. Ah, oh, fuck. It's either A or B. The others I think I recognize. Yeah, D is definitely real. What were A and B again? Could you reread them? Help. My friends think I'm stealing vaccines from African-American grandmothers to attend sex resorts. And B. I wonder if my wife likes her girlfriend more than she likes me. I don't remember the second one, but uh, but it's such a that's such a slate column. If I had to, this is not our final guess. I'm asking my partner Katie if she's okay with it, Helen. To be clear, I would guess, <laughs> Katie. If I were you, I'm not taking any responsibility for this. I'm gonna let you guess. If I were you, I would guess A. I feel like I remember that one. But and then if it's right, it's because I told you. Oh, you do. I, well, okay. let's guess that. Just it sounds very familiar, but. I don't remember. A. Let's just let's go with A. A is fake. You think A is not real? I mean, I think it's real, but we're going to go with it anyway. What, what, that makes no sense. <laughs> Why Helen, you... We could not be clearer that we both are and are not choosing A. What's the what's the holdup? <laughs> okay. The correct answer is, of course, B. B. <laughs> God damn it, Katie! I told I can you. I knew it. <laughs> okay. Number six. Who am I? I graduated from Kansas. Helen State. Lewis. Ah, oh, too too soon. Um. I graduated from Kansas State University in 2011 with a Bachelor of Science degree in nuclear engineering and vocal music. I claim to have been subjected to conversion therapy as a child. I enjoy brightly coloured clothing, sometimes of African origin. Sam Britton, Sam Britton. Jesse, are you concurring on that? If Kate, if it's right, then I concurred. If Katie was wrong, she takes full responsibility. It's right. I think it's Sam Britton. It is, of course. Yeah, yeah it is, of course, right. I wouldn't. Nice. Number seven. How much money was conservative personality Stephen Crowder offered by the Daily Wire, an amount he described as a slave contract? <laughs> Oh, was it ten fuck. million? I did I don't this remember. one. No, I think it was. I want to say twenty or thirty. Shit. Um, this is the amount over four years. This was the headline figure that was quoted everywhere. A hundred million, forty million, fifty million. <sighs> 60, Stop naming millions. 60, <laughs> 70, 80, 90. Uh, see if we can detect subtle shifts in her voice. Yeah. Um, Too bad we're not on camera. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with. 
Katie, my vote, this is not our official answer. We're talking it out. I would go with 60. Uh, I think it was, it was over four years. Yeah. I think it was 19 million a year over four years. I think it was. You're trying to do that math. <laughs> 76. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's go with yours. That's fine. 60. Luckily, you're both wrong. It was 50 million. Okay, good. Thank God. Yeah. Now I can see why he, why he yeah. freaked out about this. A mere 50 million. Yeah. 50 million. In March. Jordan Peterson posted a clip with the caption, such fun in unbelievable techno nightmare CCP hell. <laughs> what did it actually show? Oh, all right, wait, repeat it. <laughs> such fun. Oh, I remember this one. I remember this such one. Such fun in unbelievable techno nightmare CCP Chinese Communist Party hell. It was, a sh- it was a shot from like a porno of a bunch of dudes hooked, their dicks hooked up to like milky, milky, milkers. Is that what it's called? <laughs> It might have been AI. Jesse, if you, do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> I have no comment. I mean, sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. It. Sounds good My to Lord. me. Uh, yes, it was in fact some sort of unpleasant fetish milking <laughs> porn, uh, which, as far as I know, is not. Part I'm of- sorry. What What is unpleasant about what you just <laughs> described? That sounds great. You're with your You're with your friends. You're having a good time. It was like a horrible hospital setting. Anyway, but as far as I know, that is not part of China's COVID restrictions. Uh, on to question number nine. On Dylan Mulvaney's 75th day of girlhood, she described her journey of adventure, finding out about tampons. What topical phrase did she use to refer to a vagina? Barbie pouch. Barbie pouch, yeah. Barbie pouch. Yeah, okay, that was, okay, good. And also, I'm alarmed that you know that, but yes. Her fanny pack, as it were. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Number 10. To which of your rival podcast hosts did Spotify Bill Simmons refer this year as fucking grifters? Oh, the Markles. I don't, is that their names, the Markles? (laughs) Harry and Harry and and Republican of you to refer to them as Harry and Meghan Markle. (laughs) Yeah. Very feminist of him. You know who I mean. Those people. Yes. Prince Harry and the Duchess of Sussex. Uh, there were some like really good details in the, the, sorry, not to interrupt, but like the slate thing about the end of that era of podcasting, just the funny money contracts handed out. Like, I think they got, is this, were you going to say how much they were offered? No. Huh? It was, that was like maybe $10 million to produce like 10, 10 episodes or some shit. Like it was just crazy money. That Steven Crowder money. Maybe more. Yeah. 50 yeah. Million. I'm looking it up right now. This is important. Markle podcast money. Meghan Markle only produced 12 hours of podcast. It's $20 million deal. Dollar deal. Yeah. She made more than me. I respect that. Yeah. Okay, number 11. Thanks to a lawsuit this year, who was revealed to have texted a colleague about a video of a protester getting beaten up saying, it's not how white men fight. Tucker Carlson. Yep. This is correct. This is correct. You know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed at how well you're doing with these. And actually, I wish I'd made them harder. Uh, number 12. Which fox-bothering legal eagle told a journalist this year... I identify with the great protesters in history, people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King. Joe Mom. <laughs> Is that how you pronounce it? Yo Mom. <laughs> I forgot that you completely cannot pronounce his name. <laughs> how do you pronounce it? Joalyn. 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 Joalyn Mom. Joalyn Mom. Exactly. That's what I said. You can't just call him Joe Mom. <laughs> <laughs> I, remember from, I remember from the episode, Katie... It was like she pronounced it a hundred times. It was like a snowflake where no two pronunciations were alike. Look, if you want two people to pronounce your name correctly, give yourself a normal name. Because people give themselves their names. Okay. Increasingly, yes. Okay. His name probably is Joe. He probably changed it to Jualin. Diwali? Jualin. Diwali. It's like New Orleans. It's incredible. New pronunciation. <laughs> yeah okay fine uh yes he does go by joe uh it's true uh number 13 
I'm done. I'm dead. You don't understand. I do it to blow off steam. A Penn State professor told cops in oh. June this year after being arrested for bestiality with his dog. <laughs> That's weird. But what breed was the dog? A collie. Wait, what? Was it a collie? Jesse, do you remember this? I don't. A collie or a lab mix? I think it was a collie. Or no, it was a German Shepherd. I'm going to need one of these dogs, Katie. You just have to pick a dog. A German <laughs> Shepherd, collie, lab mix. You can't just rattle off breeds. Pick, pick the sexiest dog, Katie. Collie. The sexiest dog is collie. Correct. Yes. <laughs> wow. It's weird, but yes, well done. Uh, number 14. What is the name of the magazine I used to work for, which ran competing articles on what is a woman, which you consistently pronounce <laughs> wrong in your episode on the subject? New statesman. How many news? <laughs> How many men? <laughs> <laughs> the, it's, it's, a, it's the, so that means one, the yeah. new statesman. It is the new statesman, yes. Well, really? No, you can't have, it's just like a basic grammatical statesman. question. It's not... Okay, wait, Katie, you, how did you get that? Do you know the refers to a... Yeah, uh-huh. right, but you called it the new statesman. Oh, I guess you're right. You know what? Also, what I'm saying isn't even true, because it could be the new statesman. It would be the same article. Look, I'm so dumb. I think we can all agree that it's a bad name. It's just a bad name for a magazine. They did No, they did an incredibly... Before I arrived, they did a very cringe article about women in politics and they renamed it The New Stateswoman and they changed the masthead to pink. <laughs> but we don't speak of that anymore. Uh, talking of pink... The whole page was laid out like a vagina. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everyone was welcome at the Pink Peacock, a queer Yiddish anarchist cafe and info shop in Glasgow's South Side, except two groups of people. Who were they? Half a point for each. Well, turfs are going to be one of them, obviously. Turfs and... Uh, turfs and uh, cops, I, I want to say. Yeah, cops. Turfs and cops. Correct. Well done. Nice. This is quite good. Actually, I feel like you've had a much better year this year remembering stories that you covered. <laughs> I mean, it was a much worse it was a much worse year in every sense, but that means we do better on your end of your quiz. You know, I just I stopped smoking weed as much. That's what it comes to. It's down incredible to. what it's done for your memory, I really have to say. Yeah, yeah my dream <laughs> and my memory. Okay, number sixteen. In two thousand and nine, under the pen name Richard Hostie, who wrote the following in the comment section of a blog? What is interesting to me is whether there are a lot of high IQ people who simply can't do manual labor. As a teenager, I tried working in a pizza place in a McDonald's. I actually felt sympathy for low IQ kids, knowing that this is what they must have felt like in school. <laughs> this is Richard Hanania, if that's what you're asking. Richard Hananania. That is Richard Hananania. He's the, he's the only Palestinian uh, Zionist. <laughs> Number 17, talking of Richard Hanania, what did he describe this year as the, quote, trans of traffic? Ooh. Trans of traffic. <laughs> yes. What plays the role in traffic that uh, trans does as a subject of internet debate? Um, protesters? <laughs> I, w- I would have said, no, I wasn't going to guess that. I mean, we got it wrong. Okay. First of all, Helen, you should, as a matter of courtesy, you should ask, is that your final answer? I would have said no. <laughs> I was going to say something like, um, like whether cops should be allowed to pull people over, which is an argument people make. That's probably not I'm right. afraid not. It is, of course. Like for speeding and stuff. Okay, what is it? It is, of course, the bicycle. Oh, that makes much more sense. They are you know neither what? a car nor a pedestrian. He is, oh, he is actually no. right about that. He yeah. is right. Yeah. Yeah, you're really reconsidering his thought about <laughs> IQ now, aren't you? Uh, number 18. In the glorious socialist future, what did Malcolm Harris say would not be available to people in Columbus, Ohio? Bananas. A, Google. B, voting rights. C, bananas. D, podcasts. Given that Katie called it, I'm going to say C, bananas. (laughs) That was some of the greatest discourse that that website has ever seen. This was one of those times where I was blocked by so many people involved that I could only see like the discourse from a distance, the the waves, the the odor wafting off of the discourse (laughs) rather than the discourse itself. 
It's like you hear like distant but excited murmuring yes. a few rooms yeah. over, but you can't tell what's going on. Yeah, it really was properly alien versus predator, and it was like I have absolutely no dog in this fight. This is great. <laughs> I cannot. I but like, and then there's always like the 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 uh, contest over who can be more radical. Not only that, but I think people who do have bananas in Columbus should have their bananas taken away and then shot. And then shot, exactly, and then strung up. Okay, here are... the bananas should be shot. Here are four redacted tweets about a popular internet personality. To whom are they referring? You get more points the quicker you guess the right answer, starting at four points and dropping to one, if you guess after the final clue. Tweet one. I have a theory that X scratches the same my favourite bloviator itch for a certain type of resistance liberal culture warrior as Rush Limbaugh did for a certain type of perpetually affronted conservative. I, Katie, Very I'm not wise. using this as a no, no. Well, well, hold on. We're not guessing yet, right? Or do we, Katie and I have to agree? I was gonna say I'm not ready to go with Barry Weiss. It almost had like not a stencil vibe to me. Mm. Oh, I think I would say we get one more hint. I think it's Matt Iglesias, but I don't want to risk blowing the whole thing. Let's I don't want to blow Iglesias. our wads too early. Okay. Or do you want to say? Okay. okay, this is for three points. This is for three points. The only person I know blocks me is X, and I only know that because he uses a burner account to check my tweets and complain about them. And then when his idiot followers start tweeting at me, I can't see the original thread, brackets, until I go into my burner account, lol. Jesse Single. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, that doesn't help. All right, Katie, do you want to just guess that? Let's do one more. Let's get one more hint. I think it's Matt, but let's get one more hint. Yeah, let's get one more. Okay, for two points. The biggest thing I learned from this episode is that X has been holding his mic this whole time. This information makes me feel deranged. No, no. It could be like Andrew Sullivan. Yeah. I'm going to give you the final clue. I feel like you need it. Uh, Thomas Hobbes died in 1679, and I would trust his medical opinions more than those of Michael X. Hobbes. <laughs> oh, Michael Hobbes. <laughs> Wait, he holds his microphone? Yes, it is his worst crime. In many ways, his worst he crime. He holds his microphone. Why does he? Why, he can certainly afford <laughs> a mic stand. I could afford a gold-plated what mic a stand. freak. Yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah. I just, yeah. The final tweet, I Finally, believe. Finally, we found the smoking gun that will take down the <laughs> People across the internet rise up revolted uh, at this. Okay. Number 20. In November, Brian West, a 35-year-old from Arizona, secured perhaps the best slash worst job in journalism. What is it? Taylor Swift um, correspondent. That is correct, Katie. Did you apply for yeah. that job? If I were in the business of applying for jobs, I would have, but I don't I don't work anymore. <laughs> okay. Number 21. What solution did Yale professor Yusuke Narita propose to Japan's aging population this year? Huh. Robots? No, robots are too, that's too real. Jesse, what do you think? Robots are yeah. too easy and actually, you know, yeah. accepted. <laughs> Japan. This is weirder. This is much, much weirder. Oh, suicide. I need a little bit more. Harikari? What's the, what's the like? Seppuku? Seppuku. Seppuku. Yeah. Mass suicide yeah. by ritual yeah. disembowelment of the elderly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Can they pick up their own swords at that age? I was going to say, it really says a lot for the muscle tone of Japanese right. seniors right. that that is even an option. I, I should also say that if Blockchain Reported ever ends, I expect all of our listeners to do that. Oh, I you could be like a fairy. Together. You could be buried in a pyramid alongside all of your listeners. <laughs> all our listeners get buried with us. Yeah, it's really lovely. <laughs> okay, uh, number 22. What phrase did the AP warn this year was dehumanizing along with the poor and the mentally ill? Can we get another one? Uh, no, that's oh, wait, it. That's is, the question. That's it the uses question. the at the start. That's the that's the clue. Like it's it's one of those, it's dehumanizing because it's not, you know, it's 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 the poor. The, the Jews? K Katie, my first thought was homeless, but I'm not sure. Uh, much more stupid than that. It was, of course, the French. <laughs> 
They, what, what? And someone was like, you have to now say person's experiencing Frenchness. Wait, Are the French that... a culture that takes offense to things? No. But it's also like <laughs> the really. French have spent hundreds of years dehumanizing themselves and we're supposed to <laughs> wait what are you supposed to use instead of the french french people yeah i presume so but it is obviously as soon as ap tweeted that people were just like this is amazing <laughs> this is like the logical people of people of frenchness pops yeah people experiencing frenchness <laughs> pregnant french That's not offensive. you know all that stuff <clears throat> which friend of the podcast an extremely reliable source for the southern poverty law center once wrote to the sex researcher Anne lawrence i readily admit to my own autogynophilia <laughs> andrea james that is Andrea James. Well done, her. Yes. Uh, in December, the journalist Sarah Yong wrote a piece for The Verge arguing that Twitter was a harassment machine which had tried to get her fired from the New York Times in 2018 for being the reverse racist lady, the Asian who hates white people. Which of these is not a real remark that Sarah Yong made on Twitter? <laughs> I love this one. A. Are white people genetically predisposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling goblins? Sounds real. B. I think that's real. Speak for yourself. I literally want to kill all the men real. literally. Also sounds real. C. Dumbass fucking white people marking up the internet with their opinions like dogs pissing on fire hydrants. Also sounds real. I yeah. know that one's real because of the imagery. It's so... D. Yep. White people smell like unseasoned chicken and they don't wash their legs in the shower. Oh, that one also sounds real. No, I... Katie, I'm pretty sure D, yeah. All right, let's go with D. You are correct. Nice. As is Sarah Young, that white people smell like unseasoned chicken and don't wash their legs in the shower. We do. We do smell like us. Well, we don't wash our legs, but we actually smell like wet dog. (laughs) In November, final question on this round, and there is a bonus round, but final question on this round. In November, the feminist website Jezebel, home of the seminal takedown, what's Jesse Single's fucking deal, Mm -hmm. closed down for good. (laughs) I never recovered. Which of these... Which of these is not a real Jezebel headline by the intrepid writer who did that piece, Harold Wolf? Hell yeah. A. Mitch McConnell is a big poopy head. B. Remembering <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer who died in 1818. C. Just give me a fucking Caesar salad. D. Jason Momoa bad, naked mole rat queen good. The poopy head one sounds like too intellectual for her. Um, <laughs> what was B again? Remembering Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer who died in 1818. And what was D again? Jason Momoa bad, naked mole rat queen good. So like that sounds and, and the Caesar salad is like peak Jezebel. Um I'll go with Katie B. Remembering Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, who died in eighteen eighteen. Yeah. Incorrect. It was Mitch Ugh. McConnell is a big poopy head. Oh no. That's such a Jezebel headline. I know. I really miss my calling as a Jezebel. If you if you it helps, they greeted me being hired by the Atlantic with the Atlantic has a transphobia problem. Of course they did. And a big picture uh, of me. They nice. are back. Does anything way. not have a something? Oh, Jezebel's back. Who bought them? Yeah, Pace. Barstool Sports, I hope. <laughs> no, Pace. Okay, uh, the bonus round. Okay, first of all, I'd like to tell you that you did extremely well and you scored 20 points out of a possible nice. 20, out of 28, I guess, when I take into account the possible bonus points you could have racked up. So that's not actually extremely well. Oh, that's but like a it B. That's extreme. No, it's, do not, do, it's not a B. Do we do, do, we do grade on. inflation here? Is this Harvard or MIT? <laughs> 20 divided by 28. I'm doing math. We got a 71. That's a C minus. Although in the, oh, the American school good. system or at an Ivy League school, that's an A plus. Yeah, exactly. Just imagine yeah. that you're taking okay, cool. yeah, random humanities class. Okay. The bonus round is called not a spelling bee, but a pronunciation bee. Oh, no. <laughs> We're going to fail this oh, so no. badly. Where Katie, I'm gonna... <laughs> do not, Katie, do not participate, please. <laughs> Where I'm going to spell out words and you're going to tell me how they pronounce. Some of these have featured on the show. <laughs> so, okay. Number one. The word is spelt S-O-M-M-E-L-I-E-R. 
Sommelier. So nope, Katie. Okay, we're not. We need to say final answer before because Katie and I are going to okay, disagree. Wait, wait. Sommelier Start again. I would say sommelier. No, sommelier. Sommelier. Okay, let's go with Katie's. I'll be honest with you. I think it's sommelier, and that's the standard English pronunciation of it, as far as. But, but wait, isn't that what I but said? Wait, you are doing this in British English. So you think it's sommelier? Sommelier, and the and I think it's yes. I think I'm doing it in the original French. Abby, okay. Well, like, if there are any French listeners who have who managed to live through the bit where you Jesse insulted all of the French, then uh, <laughs> I'm sure they can write in and tell you whether or not we should stop recording until we find out from a French listener, and then we'll finish the episode, whether we get that point or not. It's so uh, I'm I'm doing the pronouncer right now. It's sommelier. We, oui. Katie, say we. Oui. We. Oui. Sommelier. Nice. That's good. Okay, number two. W O R C E S T E R S H I R E. Worcester. <laughs> what about the sh- the S H I R E at the no, end? There was a sheer at the end, Katie. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Did you listen? That is correct. Worcestershire. Wor- yeah, Worcestershire. Oh, no, no. I'm Worcestershire. Very with that. I only know that because there's a Massachusetts. We stole other town names yeah. from you. We have Worcester. Uh, okay, number three. L O U G H B O. R-O-U-G-H. Wait, spell it again. L-O-U. Just go slower. We are Americans. We have very small brains. Smell spelled a little bit slower. Okay, this is the this is a town in England. L-O-U-G-H B-O-R-O-U-G-H. Labro. Katie, I would I would guess Labro. Lobro. No, Labro. Lockbro. Lockbro. What do you think? Lockbrow. Lockbro. Lowbrow. I mean, again, like a like a snowflake, those were all different. I'm genuinely impressed with this ability you have to generate pronunciations. What? Well, wait, can we change the contest so we get points for all the ones Katie can come up with, all the different pronunciations? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's Loughborough. It's Loughborough. Loughborough. I was very close. You were actually very, very close. close. Okay, let's yeah. uh, let's try you with the Irish language now. Oh, oh no. Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus okay. Christ. Thank you. C A I O M H E. Kami? I'm going to go with Kami. <laughs> no, it is in fact Kiva. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> it's, this is not a real civilization. I'm okay. sorry. Okay, this, just, is, this, okay. this is impossible. <laughs> is that a place? No, it's a, it's a girl's name. But oh. MH, like the end of Neve, right? So MH is a V sound in, in Irish. Makes sense. Mm, and yeah, okay. This one, I will accept many different pronunciations of as indeed you did in your episode when you mentioned this name but uh, i'm delighted i want to see basically what you believe to be the consensus correct one l-e-a-h okay fuck you helen fuck it's pronounced, you. It's pronounced <laughs> fuck right, off what is it How, there are different ways to pronounce this term there what are, you are different ways to pronounce it what you American. are looking what the answer that you want is leah mm, i think it's leah but i i you went through like leah lee <laughs> <laughs> the correct pronunciation <laughs> is Lee. The, cor- the other correct pronunciation is Leah. No, okay. Lee is L-E-I-G. Okay, it's Leah. This one's Leah. Okay, number six. Uh, one that came up in a recent episode. Uh, C-O-R-N-I-C-H-O-N. Oh, Cornichon. <laughs> is that not how you say it? Gherkin. I, be- <laughs> I believe it to be Cornichon with a soft oh. sh. This is the small dick, Jesse. Oh, okay. Yeah. You would love these. <laughs> yeah. A very small gherkin. Yeah, they're potent, yes. but, but tiny, um, much like yourself. Uh, okay, no, and I, this one I want... large and bland. Okay, large gherkin. Uh, this one I want the English pronunciation, okay? And you will be shot as Americans if you give me the American pronunciation. B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E. Berkshire. 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 You can keep Berkshire. saying it, but it's going to ca- carry Berkshire. on being Berkshire. Oh, Berkshire. 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 Jesus Christ. Doesn't that just sound wrong to you? Like we're going to go to vacation in the Berkshires? 
No, because it's not. It's a county. So you, it's I know, called Bar- but still. Sparkshire. So I it's, think it it's comes sure, about the fact- not Shire. Yeah, it's sure. Oxford, sure. Okay. Oxford, as before, Oxfordshire. Oxfordshire. <laughs> well, but what was the what was the point of beating you guys in a war if our pronunciations don't get to supersede yours? It's stupid. Right. I don't think you really. That should have been in the declaration. In a war how do you guys celebrate Independence Day? Uh, how do we even celebrate Independence Day by going to big barbecues and being like, "We're well, well rid." <laughs> I don't really know how I can mark you on that because I guess pronunciation is kind of subjective and maybe Katie's... Exactly. Maybe Katie's smur for sommelier is in fact correct and we've all just been, you know, hoodwinked. I think I would award you two. I'm going to say your overall grade here. I'm going to give you... I'm going to go with B+. Not bad. That's great as far as I'm concerned. I was a B plus student, yeah. so this feels good. Back where I belong. Helen, thank you so much. I The um amount of effort and thought you've put into both of these... Uh, Again, I'm not good at being earnest, but thank thank you. It was great. Helen, this is my favorite episode of the year is always the one when you're here. So thank you for uh, for coming on. <laughs> oh, Katie, that's really beautiful. <laughs> well, uh, let's hope in uh, 2024 we can rise up, overthrow Jesse, institute the Helen supremacy that uh, that this country deserves. I'm ready for it. I'll make a flag. Yes, I hope it's time for me to be overthrown and my, my corpse dragged through the streets. I, I've, I deserve it. I want it. Good. I'm glad you can accept that. Kill all men, starting with Jesse Single. <laughs> Does he count, though? Okay, so just before we wrap up, just a quick scheduling note. We are not going to have a show on uh, next week on New Year's Day because, you know. It's New Year's Day. I'll be making Hoppin' John in, in collards. What is Hoppin' John? You don't do that where, where you where you live? Is that like a British county we can't pronounce? <laughs> Hoppin' John. It's a traditional southern meal that you eat for money and luck along with collard greens on New Year's Day. Okay, whatever. So you do that. Other people enjoy the week off from us. I'm sure you can uh, refresh and be ready for us to come back on Monday the 8th. We will, however, have premium content coming. So if you just miss us really badly, join us at blockedreported.org. Blockedreported.org. Thank you so much, Helen, for joining us. Uh, I hope this was not too painful an experience for you. I was not. I enjoyed it very much. I will see you in 2024 if the U.S. still exists. Yeah, we'll see. I give it 50-50 odds. Uh, This has been Blocked or Imported. As always, we're produced with help from Tracing Woodgrains and Jessica the 80s Baby. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, it's not pronounced UK. The British pronunciation is UK. I'm Helen Lewis, and also remember, ask your sommelier for a cornichon. And I'm Katie Herzog, and also remember, for everyone going to the Satanist orgy tonight, please remember to pin your pronoun tags to your fanny pack. <laughs>